Well, today we're asking one of the questions that if you have children is probably a big question on your heart. And that is, how do I make sure my children turn out right, right? How do I prepare them for a good, healthy adulthood? And here on Family Sunday, it's fitting that we would ask that question. If you are a parent or if you're a grandparent and you're playing a part in the raising of your grandchildren or their kids in your life at all, uh, we can be pretty confident that you're asking that question. And the reason we can be so confident is when we look around and see all of the books on Amazon that are all about how to raise your children, right? And all the books up there at the bookstore at the mall, all about raising families. All of the mommy blogs out there, you can just go to Target and see that at the car seat aisle, there are 10 car seats to choose from. You only need one car seat, but there are 10 car seats to choose from. Why are there so many to choose from? Because they know that you really want to get just the right one because you take raising your kids seriously and you want them to turn out well. So many of us do. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at one psalm that gives to us a really simple and clear first step toward a blessed family life. So if you want your home life to go well, no matter what has happened so far, And you want to ask, it's got to be simpler than than all of this that I'm hearing. What's really at the root of a good home life? Uh, The Word of the God is going to give us an answer today. But before I read the psalm, I want to tell you the kind of setting that it was sung in back in the days when it was sung in Israel. Uh, One thing that I really regret uh, about the, the making of the Bible is that we don't have the tunes that they sang these two anymore, so we can't sing them, and we don't know what it sounded like, but we do have the words, and that's the important part, and the way this song worked for the people of Israel, they were a nation that God had gathered together, and God had rescued them out of Egyptian slavery, and he said, I'm going to make you different from every other nation. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to I'm going to write your laws. And so on Mount Sinai, he hands down their nation's law to them. Moral law, national law, all of it together. And he makes them a covenant promise. And it says, if you will worship me and follow these ways, I will bless you and bless you and bless you. Your barns will burst because I'll have so much and you'll have to build new barns and you'll dwell in peace and you'll have lots of kids and you'll live to see your great-grandchildren and the nation will flourish. It'll be wonderful if you, if you worship me and you follow my ways. That was the deal. And on the other hand, he says, if you worship idols instead and you don't follow these ways I'm giving you in the law, then instead of blessing you, I'll curse you, he says. And so things will, they'll lose all of their battles. Their fields won't produce. There'll be barrenness all around, and it would be bad for them. So it's really simple. You know, do what the law says, and, and you get blessed here in this life. And don't do what the law says, and you don't get blessed here. It was that simple for them. Part of that law was a, a ceremonial festivals that they had. And so if you were a, a father in Israel and you love the Lord, you want to be faithful to that covenant and receive all that blessing, part of what you're going to do is you're going to gather up the kids and gather up your wife and, and gather up grandma and everybody in the house, and you're all going to gather together, travel together to Jerusalem for the festival. And so your house and maybe your neighbor's house and the guy down the road's house, you're all walking together on the road and then you meet up with the next village and now you're all walking in a group of 100 people and now it's 200 people on the road and you're all getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. They would say going up to Jerusalem for the big festivals where they'd sacrifice and they would feast and they would honor God's name. A wearying journey, but when you get there, there's a good party on the way. 
Well, the reason I tell you all that is because they were going up to Jerusalem, and this psalm is one of the Song of Ascents. If you're reading it on a Bible and not in our worship guide, you can probably see that after the number 128, a Song of Ascents. That is a song for going up to Jerusalem. And if you look at the psalms after and the psalm before, they say the same thing. This group of psalms in the Psalter was essentially the the road trip playlist for the journey up to Jerusalem for the festivals. So they'd be singing this psalm while they're on the road going to the festival. So just put our minds there. You're, You're walking in that big group you're going to the festival, uh, maybe you brought something with you you want to offer as a sacrifice. The kids are with you, they're playing and having fun along the way. One throws a ball up in the air and the sound of, of maybe the hooves of the donkey next to you while you're all walking on maybe a stone or a dirt road. And now it's time to sing together. And so the crowd around you sings these words. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. These are the words of the Lord. Now what the Spirit is doing there for us, really two things. One, he is giving to us the first step toward a blessed family life, and that is why we have titled the sermon this week, That Very Thing. If you are eager to have a good home in your home, we've got today before us a principle that is the first step toward getting there. You get this right, many other things will fall into place. And then we'll get later to verses 5 and 6, which encourage every soul in the room. If you never hope to have children or if your children are grown and long gone and those days are past and you're wondering, what is in here for me? What the Lord would like to do is encourage every soul who wants to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, As the song just sang a minute ago, we're almost home. We have something very blessed waiting for us when we arrive. So a principle to help us with family life and encouragement for anybody who wants to be faithful to Jesus Christ. We'll spend a lot more time on the first one this morning, a principle to help us with family life. The psalm says very plainly, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So this is the person that this psalm is about, someone who looks to God with a heart of genuine worship and says, you are great, I will worship you, I will walk in your ways. And two and three tell us the blessings that this person gets. You'll eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands, you'll be blessed, it'll be well with you. So a full table, a full fridge, lots of produce, no want. And then in three and four, your wife, like a fruitful vine within your house. Here's a a woman who all she does, all all she touches, she blesses, right? Bearing fruit of good works and perhaps even children within the house, a fruitful woman. And then children who are like olive shoots around the table. Olive shoots are really vigorous. When they come up, boom, they are coming up and there is no stopping them. And sometimes kids can be like when they have have vigor in youth and man, there's no stopping these kids. What they're going to turn into is something great. There's anticipation there. So here is this blessed man 
who across from him at his table is a woman who's noble and fruitful in all that she does. The table itself is full of lots of food and good things, and the kids around it are growing up strong and well-prepared for adult lives. Who gets that? Well, it gets repeated again in verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So how do those things come for a faithful Israelite? Uh, by embracing the fear of God and living under the fear of God. Now, before we outline what that means and what that would look like, uh, there's a way we could misread this uh, that would hurt us, and there's a way we should read it. So let me go through how this is true for us and is not true for us, because it was true in a way for ancient Israel that it is not true for us. Now, uh, for them, it was a promise, a guarantee from God, a covenant promise from them. Remember I said earlier, they're living under this covenant from God and he has promised them, right? I've rescued you, here are my ways. If you follow them, I will bless you and bless you and bless you. And if you don't, then you won't be blessed, right? You'll be cursed instead. And so for them, they've got covenant promises to rely on. They would hear this song and say, oh, it really does work. You keep the covenant and God will bless you. And so this is why they could trust this thing as a guarantee. And when there was somebody like Hannah married to Elkanah who was wondering, why why have I not been given children? Like that was part of the promise that I would be really fertile. Her husband takes her into the temple and they pray together and the priest blesses her. And behold, she conceives and bears Samuel, the great prophet, right? So, So these promises come true for those who wait for them, for those in ancient Israel under the old covenant. We have a different covenant with our God. They call the new covenant in the scripture. What we have promised to us as Christians is not temporal flourishing in this life, but eternal flourishing in life in the kingdom to come. So for all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, who died to pay for sins and rose to raise us from the dead, no promises in this life. Things may work one way, things may work another But if you had to choose between temporal life and flourishing and then dying at a good old age or eternal life forever with Jesus, I hope you'd choose eternal life. We have a better blessing for us. So many of these things that were true in the immediate sense for them will not be true for us until later, sometimes even in symbolic ways when the Lord blesses us and gives to us life and flourishing forever in his kingdom. That means that you can follow Jesus faithfully and still struggle through years of infertility. Or you can follow Jesus faithfully and ask him for a spouse and and, and he may never give you one. That doesn't mean you're not doing it right. And that doesn't mean you don't fear God. No, that means the Lord is waiting to bless you. And that's some of what the last few verses are about. However, this is still true for us in one really profound way. It is true as a wisdom principle. So, If you're writing things down, you might write down, not a promise, a principle. It's a principle of wisdom. A father who fears God, who who loves the Lord, who walks in all of his ways, learns God's wisdom and becomes a wise father, raises his children in in God-fearing wisdom from the Proverbs. Well, it's just good wisdom to say that is going to lead to good family leadership, right? Children tend to flourish under a father and mother who love Jesus and fear God and walk in his ways faithfully. Wives tend to flourish under the leadership of a husband who loves Jesus and treats them gently and tenderly just as he tells them to. So living in the fear of God 
and living in the ways of God, well, it's just good common sense wisdom. That's going to lead to a better family life. That's going to pay dividends because Jesus' ways are good and his ways work. So it's not a promise, but it is a principle that can guide you as you're trying to build a strong family in your home. Now you might be asking, what, what is the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear God and walk in his ways? We've talked about it a few times here. I emphasize it a lot because I believe it's missing very much in the church, something we need to recover. And the book of Ecclesiastes says it's actually the whole duty of man. It summarizes everything that God wants from you as a human. And yet many of us are still confused about what it is. So we talk about it a lot here. To fear God is very simply to live in awe of him. Fear can be positive, fear can be negative, so it doesn't necessarily mean to be scared of God. In fact, if you're a Christian, it shouldn't mean that at all. It does mean to look up at him and be in awe of who he is and to carry around through your life that, that worshipful sense that says, this God is worthy of my worship. So to sort of carry that in your heart and nurture that sense in your heart all the day long. That's to live in awe, to live in the fear of God. And someone who looks to God like this says, hey, I'm going to listen to him, right? He is great. That's going to be a person who takes the time to learn God's ways and walk in them. Because if you think God is worth listening to and worth following, you're going to walk in his ways. You're going to do things according to his commands and his teachings. And so the first line puts those two in parallel because they're essentially the same thing. One comes from the other. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. So, so to live this life, this first step toward blessed family life, is simply to to hold a worshipful disposition in your heart before God, to hear his ways, receive them, and walk in them. If you want a blessed home life, there's your first step. Live in the blessed fear of the Lord. Now, I think all of us in this room already believe this intuitively, and I'll show you how. If we're going to say the first step toward a blessed family life is the fear of God. Well, let's just put two very different lives in, in front of you, and I'll ask you a little bit of question about them. Let's consider one person who uh, has been raised in church, uh, heard the gospel, came down an aisle when it was really emotional, not really sure if they really believed or not, uh, grows up and essentially lives according to their own desires. So has a wife, has children, uh, doesn't really want to get up off the couch and discipline his kids, and so he doesn't really do that. Uh, but when they make him angry, boy, then the wrath flies, right? Then he's ready to get up off the couch because he's mad. Uh, doesn't really pursue the Lord's ways and the Lord's commands, so he's not really leading his family in that. Does nothing really to lead his family in prayer and Bible reading. Hasn't read in a long time the words, love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? So he doesn't really do that. He's essentially doing whatever he can get away with to satisfy his own desires and still look like a pretty good guy. He's living for himself. Okay, that's one guy. Now let's put another guy over here. Uh, when he was, let's say, 15, 16, he realized this God in heaven's worth worshiping and worth obeying, and I haven't been doing that. And so he cries out for salvation and finds that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. He says, oh, praise God, I'm saved. He puts all his faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now he, he believes this Jesus is Lord. He sees him up in heaven at the right hand of God. says, I'm going to live in worship of him. I'm going to receive all of his ways. And so he spends from 15 to 25 just studying the Bible saying, okay, how do I live, Lord? Teach me how to live. And he meets a woman and he marries her. And he just is so impressed with this burden that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. And he says, I'm going to do that, Lord, with your help. I'm going to do that. And the Lord gives them children and he reads in the Proverbs that he who spares the rod hates his son. And so he says, Lord, I'm going to discipline my children as you have taught me to. Right? He's living in the fear of God and says, God, I want to follow your ways and I'm going to do all this the way that you told me to. So next thing you know, he's leading his wife and his kids in prayer. He's got them together around the table and they're reading the Bible together. He's bringing them to church because he knows that it's important. And he's saying, Lord, help me. I want to do all I can to raise these kids and love this woman the way that you've taught me to. Okay. We got these two people, right? Different houses. Now, whose kids are likely to turn out better? Right? Second guy, right? The one with a genuine, robust relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think we all know that at an intuitive level. And so we should have no trouble believing the scriptures when it says, blessed is the one that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. What does that tend to lead to? A wife is like a fruitful vine, right? Because wives tend to flourish with husbands who love the Lord, right? Children who are like olive shoots around the table because children tend to and always grow up the right way, but they tend to grow up better when their parents have a robust and worshipful relationship with God. I think most of us believe that intuitively, and so my calling to you, parents, single people who want to be married one day, married people who want to have kids one day, my call to you is to live it. Cultivate that worship of God in your heart. Take his ways seriously and live in them and see how that blesses the children who are raised in your home watching you live a good and robust relationship with Jesus Christ. So that, that's my call to you. Now, the psalm talks mostly about fathers, right? You see the image, right? Your wife will be like a fruit. We know we're talking to a father when it says that. Uh, now, ladies, I want you to know that the very same thing is said uh, of wives in the Bible. So this isn't just a guy thing, but this is a guy and guy, gal thing, a husband and wife thing. And if you want, turn with me to Proverbs 31, and I'm going to show you where it says that very same thing. If you're a young person, this is one of those texts that is worth meditating on, whether you are a wife yourself or want to be, or whether you're a young man and want to be married and want to know what to look for. Now, the first nine verses are, are different. They're about drunkenness, and they're very important. Uh, but we start at verse 10, and we see an ode to the excellent wife. Right? So here is a picture of a wife who is a blessing to all who are around her. And we get all these concrete pictures. Her, her husband heart trusts her in verse 11. Uh, in verse 13, she's working with wool and flax with willing hands. So she's a hard worker. She has, we have all these pictures. And they build up and build up so that by the end of it, you're like, wow, this woman is incredible. What's the, what's the source of strength that this woman has? And then verse 29, we start to get to a peak. We're almost at the mountaintop here. Her husband says to her, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And then here's the peak of the thing in verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord 
is to be praised. So if Psalm 128 told us the key to being a good husband and father is to live in the fear of God, what is it that separates this excellent wife and mother from other women and other mothers? She lives in the fear of God. So no matter who you are, husband, wife, husband-to-be, wife-to-be, granddad, grandma, whoever you are, the key to getting things right in that home life is to live day in and day out in the fear of God. So that's what I call you to, whoever you are. Now, before we go on to apply that to really particular situations, uh, let me just show you how this is actually an important part of the gospel message. Uh, You don't have to know what the fear of God is to be saved, but you do have to have experienced it along the way. And why would I say that? Well, because it is part of the work that God does in our hearts to prepare us to receive the gospel. Here's how that works. Here's what I mean. Someone who comes to Jesus Christ first realizes, maybe you see a sunset, maybe you hear preaching, something makes you realize wow, there is a God in heaven that I should have been worshiping the whole time and that I should be walking in his ways, right? There's a good God up there and I should have been worshiping him and obeying him. And then you realize very quickly, well, I have not done that, right? I have not lived the way that I should. We look back over our lives. We know it doesn't measure up. We know this just God would be so just to punish us forever for not living in worship of him and not living under his ways. And if that clicks in your heart, right, if, if, if a genuine reverence for God and your own shortcomings against him and his great sense of justice, if all of that adds up, you're going to cry out for salvation. You say, God, what, what will I do? I have not lived according to the standard of the only just God. And then your heart's ready to hear the good news that says that God sent his son Jesus to the world to to live without sin. And then to die, to pay for the sins of sinners, and then to rise from the dead. And if you come to that message with a heart that knows we should have been listening to God and should have been under his ways, then you're ready to cry out, praise God, I'm delivered. Now you're not going to do that, though, if you're not convinced that you need to be saved. And so that underlying reverence for him, that underlying sense that I should have been following him, if that's not there then you're not going to be in a place where you feel like you need God to save you and you're not going to call out to him. So that's why I say you don't have to know what the fear of God is to be saved, but part of getting there is looking up to him and saying he is worthy of all of my worship. And so maybe that's some of you here this morning. Maybe you can do all of that math and say, yeah, I should have been worshiping him. Yeah, I did not. I should have lived to his ways. I did not, and I need this Jesus Christ to save me. If that is you, just put your faith in this Jesus. Receive him and his salvation and find there forgiveness for all of your sins. That's how this connects to the gospel of Jesus. Now, you're here today in very different situations. And and if the first step toward a blessed family life is fearing God, uh, what does that mean if you're you're single and you want to be married? Maybe you're looking for the right spouse and you're hoping, I hope, to build a good family life with that spouse. Well, this helps you so much because it tells you what to look for in a spouse and it tells you what you need to become 
for you to become a good spouse. I remember my years of, of searching for a wife. Thank God God gave me Emily because I did not know what I was doing looking for a wife. And it was so hard because, I mean, we didn't even have the dating apps and stuff back then, but it's so hard to discern what is this person going to be like in 20 years, right? I mean, you're having coffee and you're watching like how many creamers they put in their coffee and trying to figure out, now when I'm 75, are they gonna take care of me? Like based on the number of creamers they're putting in their coffees. You just can't do this, right? Or you're trying to like work the chat window in a dating app and figure out if this is a good person or not that's worth investing your life in in this way. I, how are you gonna do that? Well, this will help quite a lot. What are you looking for? What's the key to a person who will grow into someone who will bless you all the days of your life together? Somebody who's got a really worshipful heart toward God. Somebody who fears God. It's the kind of person that grows. It's the kind of person that blesses you as the years go by. So that means if you want to be one day a good wife or a good husband, what you've got to cultivate in your heart now is a deep sense of worship toward God so that you live in the fear of God. That means that when you're trying to figure out if this kind of immature guy across the table from you is going to go the distance and be a good husband one day. Uh, there are a lot of false flags there, but the, the key thing to look for is how does this guy view God? Does he look up to God as if he needs to listen to him and follow him? All right, does this woman that I am dating, proverbially, does she look up to the Lord and say, that God is worth following? Is that cry in her heart? Or does he think that he is great? Or does she think that she is great? Is their view of God bigger than their view of themselves? This is really important, I think, uh, especially ladies, if you're looking for a husband. Uh, it, it is so attractive to see a man step up and be willing to lead. That's hard to find. So many passive men out there that when a guy steps up and he acts like a leader and he's assertive and he says, here's what we need to do. And then you're sitting across from him at a table and he's like, in my house, like I'm going to lead, I'm going to be in charge and I'm going you know, to lead my house. That is for a lot of women, that is hot. That is attractive because it's so hard to find a man who will stand up and won't be passive. And, and you don't want a passive husband. But here's, here's my word for you, though, ladies. And, and there are, I know women who would say, I wish I had heard this when I was single. If you are, meet a man and he's interested in you and his view of his authority in his home is bigger than his view of God's authority over him. Ladies, run from that man. That is not the man that you need to lead you. You need a man who takes leadership in the home seriously because he takes God's leadership of him seriously. You need a man who trembles and says, I will answer to a holy God for every way that I treat her for all of our years together. Now there's a man who's ready to lead you. There's a man you can trust with your life. On the flip side, guys, very similar thing, right? Remember how that, how that proverb ended, right? Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. 
but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? So, you can find a beautiful, youthful, vibrant young woman, and well, tomorrow it doesn't last, right? It doesn't stay. Or you can find yourself a really charming young woman who makes you laugh and just has the very best personality today, and tomorrow she'll use it against you. Neither of those pan out great. But you find a woman who worships God genuinely, who looks to him and says, he is it. There is a wife who will be more delightful to you on your 50th anniversary than she is on your honeymoon. There is a wife who will grow in dignity and honor and will bless you more in the years down the road than she even blesses you in the very beginning. So young men, what you're looking for is a wife who fears the Lord. This is what this means for single people. Grow into someone who fears God yourself and look for a spouse who fears God. You want a healthy home, there's the first step to get there. What about parents? Well, parents, this means that if you are trying to raise children, and, and for some of us it's really ideal circumstances, some of us it's not very ideal circumstances, some of us it's grandparents skipping a generation and raising the grandkids, all kinds of stuff going on. What's the, fir- what's the most important thing that we can do to make sure our kids and our grandkids turn out good? Well, it's not a guarantee, but the first step is to cultivate that worshipful relationship with God. There's actually been a lot of research into this that confirms exactly what the Bible teaches on it. Uh, Lifeway's done a study, Barna's done a study, a number of others, because there are a lot of people whose story is like mine. I grew up in a big youth group that was awesome, and I got a lot out of it, and there must have been 50 of us in it, and today I think three of us are walking with Jesus. And so everybody's like, what's going on? Like, awesome kids ministry, awesome youth group, so few of these people are walking with Jesus today. Like, what's up? So people are doing studies and trying to figure out, okay, what's the difference in childhood between people who turn into spiritually flourishing adults and people who don't? And what the research is finding is that it doesn't matter how big your youth group is, and it doesn't matter how big the kids' ministry is, uh, what actually matters is is the home, most of all. Uh, And and it's essentially, the way they they put it is, is an intentionally spiritual environment in the home. And then they parse that out. Here are the sort of things that these kind of people did. They prayed together at home. They served the church together, the whole family, like the kids serving with the parents. They read the Bible together at home. They sang Christian hymns or they listened to Christian music at home. They did the sorts of things that you would expect someone who really loves Jesus and wants to follow him. They did those things in front of their kids and with their kids. So you could just say they were people who, parents, who loved the Lord and lived out their love for Jesus in front of their children. That's the greatest predictor of whether kids turn out to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. Or you could just say it the way that Psalm 128 says it, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. If you live a spiritually vibrant life in front of your kids, with your kids. That means more than all the soccer leagues you can put them in, picking the right homeschool curriculum, getting this right, finding the very best church, 98 evangelical churches in Greenwood, you gotta find the very best one for your kids, all that stuff that you gotta do. 
all of that matters so much less, right, if we can get this first thing right, if we can cultivate a robust spirituality with the Lord our God. So that's what it means for those of us single, those of us that are parents. Uh, Some of us, though, you might be wondering, okay, well, what's in this for me, right? Sometimes it doesn't go this way. It's not a guarantee. You can raise your kids in the fear of God and it not work out right. Uh, Or maybe some of you are are past the days of kids and your grandkids are raising kids. And you're, okay, what's in this psalm for me? And that's where verses five and six come in. Now remember, these travelers are tired, they're walking a long way, and they're trusting that if they, if they stick with the covenant promise God gave them, it'll work for them. And here's what they hear in verses 5 and 6. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now that may be tough to recognize, but what that essentially is, is is imagery, pictures, word pictures of all the covenant blessings that Israel was promised. So all those, you know, your barns will burst with plenty and you'll have many children. You see your children's children and there'll be peace and prosperity in the city. It's a picture of what that is like. So it's essentially, may you receive the promised covenant blessings. So Lord from heaven is inspiring this word telling these travelers, I didn't just save you from Egypt and give you my ways and tell you to walk in them and then leave. I did that because I genuinely want you to receive this promise, right? Saying from heaven, may you receive every last bit of it. Now, that tells us something about his heart. What does he want for us as Christians? He wants for us to receive every single covenant blessing. He wants us to make it to the end. He is in heaven rooting for us, cheering for us, hoping that we make it atop to the new Jerusalem. Except the blessings we have there look a little bit like this, but are so much better. They would get to dwell in a peaceful, prospering Jerusalem forever. What what do Christians get? We get to dwell forever in the new Jerusalem, built and architected by God himself, living there with him, no temple because Jesus is there with us, and so we don't even have to go to the temple to worship him. So we'll live in peace and prosperity, not in the old Jerusalem, but in the new Jerusalem. And some of us will have children there with us and children's children there with us. And other of us will have people that we shared the gospel with there with us. And people we discipled who are our spiritual children there with us. And we will dwell in peace forever. And the Lord is saying to he- from heaven to every weary traveler right now, I can't wait till you get there. May you make it home and may you receive it. That is his heart for us. One of the hardest situations to be in when you hear a sermon like this is if you wanted to have children and God didn't give them to you. And I knew there would be people here in that very scenario. It's so hard to hear a sermon about parenting when you're like, I wanted to be a parent so bad. Uh, and I want you to know if that's you, I, I prayed for you this week that the Lord would encourage you. Uh, and I actually hope these words right here encourage you so much. We've got before us a heavenly city 
That may sound like less when you wanted kids and God didn't give them to you. Uh, but, but if you would, I want to point out one thing in Isaiah chapter 56. If you'd turn there with me. This is a picture in the book of Isaiah about what that heavenly city will be like. 56, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. Because the difficulty of life without children has been that way for a very long time. And there were people in Israel's day who were completely unable to have children. They were were called eunuchs. And so the Lord says to them, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant. So these are people who never have children, but they are faithful to God's words. He says, I will give in my house and within my walls, I'm not going to make it, maybe I will, (laughs) a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is God's word for those of us that hold fast to him, but he doesn't give us any children. There will be people in heaven next to you who have the legacy of a hundred generations of faithful Christians. And they get that laud and that honor and that name and that pillar of look at what came after them. And then the Lord says, now wait till you see the monument I made for you. You're going to have your very name carved in there, a legacy that is better than sons and daughters coming after us. Now, with the words in Psalm 128 there, may you make it to Jerusalem, may you see its peace and prosperity. The Lord is saying to you, I know you think I don't want to bless you. It is so easy after 40 years of infertility, it's like the Lord doesn't want to bless you. The Lord says, I can't wait till you get there and see the blessing I have for you. So that's the hope and encouragement that Psalm 128 gives us in the end. Yeah, we've got a principle to get us through this family thing and build strong homes. But church, we've got something even better than that. We've got hope of a city that will never be forsaken and a God in heaven who is smiling and saying, I can't wait until you get there. So church, we can make it. And as we sang a little while ago, We're almost home. Yeah. Let's pray.